0: Welcome to the Recovery Podcast. My name is Matt, and on today's episode, we're diving into part one of a multi-part series that we have called What's Next, where we'll discuss the various challenges that come with living out our newfound life on life's terms. For this episode, I'll discuss the struggle I had with realizing that if I was going to be the father, husband, son, friend, and employee I wanted to be, I was going to have to take care of the common denominator in all of those roles, me. Specifically, my mental, emotional, and physical health. Staying sober and addressing character flaws wasn't enough. If I didn't have the mental, emotional, and physical bandwidth to give those roles my full effort, I was gonna fall short in all of them. If you're new to recovery and wonder what life is like after using, this is for you. If you've got a stretch of recovery under your belt and you feel like you're learning how to live life in a healthy way for the first time, this is definitely for you. If you love somebody in recovery and you want a glimpse into some of the things they may be struggling with in their newfound freedom, this is for you too. Just because we're not using doesn't mean we won't find ourselves wondering the same thing myself and the guests for the series have all wondered too. What's next? A human being can survive almost anything as long as they can see the end in sight. But depression is so insidious, and it compounds daily, that it's impossible to ever see the end. Elizabeth Wurtzel You don't understand depression until you can't stand your own presence in an empty room. Unknown author Depression is an insidious thing. When you're going through it, it's all-encompassing, like the sky itself is slowly falling on your head like a crushing weight. You can stand in a massive room full of thousands of people and feel like you're completely disconnected from everyone in it. You find yourself abandoning any effort to take care of yourself, and any effort to care for anybody else feels manufactured and forced. It's not that you don't care, and it's definitely not that you don't want to care. It just feels like there's a disconnect between your heart and your brain, like playing an instrument without the ability to hear. You know you're doing all the right motions, but you have no visceral sense of any of it. Every interaction is exhausting, and you just want to be alone, but that's the part that makes it so insidious. Being alone for too long is the worst thing you can do. This has been my experience with depression my entire life. It's what I'm going through right now as I read this. Through my going on three years of sobriety, I've begun to discover who I am, who I really am now that I am not self-medicating and living in the constant crisis and survival mode that using created. During my time using, I told myself that I simply just didn't like people, that I preferred to be alone. And my temperamental nature convinced those around me of that as well. What I've come to realize is that I actually enjoy being around others, that I enjoy deep conversations. I enjoy working together as a team. I enjoy collaborating on something together. I enjoy listening to people's stories and sharing my own. It's a big part of the reason why I started this podcast. But the further along this process of self-discovery I got and more, the more apparent it became that there were things that I was struggling with that weren't character related. I noticed that I would feel anxiety about things that I didn't, I knew I just didn't need to feel anxious about. I found myself mentally and emotionally fatigued no matter how much effort I put into making sure I was recharged and ready to take on the day. I found it nearly impossible to connect with other people no matter how hard I tried when I stopped to take inventory of my life, I realized that nothing warranted me feeling the way I felt. There was no loose end in my recovery that was wreaking havoc, no glaring character flaw that I wasn't at least giving my best effort into into addressing. It was like my own brain was trying to sabotage my life. And that's when I realized that in a way it was. So I began to take a hard look at what I could do about it. First step, time to see the doc. Now, I'm not sure why this is the case, but many of us, especially the men in recovery, really resist going to see a doctor for anything, much less because we feel anxious or depressed. If we're going to resist seeing a physician when we're sick or there's something seriously wrong physically, we're sure as hell not going to go see one for anything affecting us mentally. After all, we don't want them to think that we're crazy, right? While we conveniently ignore all the the things we did when we were using that aside, but the truth is, mental health is just as vital as our physical health. Taking my depression med- medication is no less vital to my overall well-being than the blood pressure medicine I take. So I went to see my doctor, and not only was I honest about my depression, but I was also honest about my recovery and how I didn't realize just how bad my depression was until after I got sober. We ended up speaking at length about my journey and the program and how things had changed for me a year after a year clean and how much better life was without the drugs even with this looming depression he stated that in his line in his line as, in his line of work it's almost a given that his patients that struggle with substance abuse also struggle with some form of mental health the guy with anxiety drinks to find some semblance of calm the hyper career mothers take stimulants to make herself feel like she can keep up with all the things she has to juggle The clinically depressed fat guy sitting in front of him, abusing anything to disassociate from the ever-crushing weight of his depression. There's a reason why you'll often see folks in recovery refer to their drug and alcohol problem as their drug and alcohol solution. It's our attempt to find some sort of relief from the war raging inside of our minds and some semblance of, of comfort inside of our own skin. So I started taking prescription medication, and when you know it, it actually helped. Sure, it didn't take it away entirely, but it did give me enough breathing room to not let it crush me entirely. Week-long depressive states only lasted days, and I began to pick up on patterns and triggers that I had previously assumed were issues caused within me or because of some character flaw. It was the first semblance of freedom I had ever felt from my depression, and I was grateful for it. But it was still there, and I still found myself struggling in my day-to-day life, feeling like I couldn't engage as fully as I wanted to. While I was making headway with my mental health, it still felt like it would get away from me when my annual depressive bouts would kick in. I would find myself every summer falling back into myself, slowly losing interest in my normal hobbies, still feeling like I was interacting with every, socialation through, or every social situation through plexiglass. Thankfully, through the support of my family, friends, recovery group, and sponsor, I continued to trudge through the quagmire and focus on trying to figure out the all important question of what's next. So as I began my second step study shortly after my first year, Mark, I began praying for what God wanted me to work on next. And I was not happy with the answer. You see, my, my first true addiction, my first true addictive behavior was overeating. I'd been doing it for as long as I can remember. And now God was asking me to surrender my relationship with food entirely Growing up, I constantly sought out comfort and food to numb myself to the chaos and pain of my youth. My mother would feed into this behavior, pun intended, by instigating the cycle of abuse, dysfunction, and chaos, and then after the dust had settled, would comfort me with food. It was so ingrained in me that even as God started asking me to surrender my relationship with food, I, I dug in my heels at best and I was in straight up denial at worst. In my adult life, I had gained and lost a total of nearly 600 pounds, and as I entered my early 30s, it began to really take a toll on my mental, physical, and emotional health. I had no energy. I could barely survive the summer days doing the physically demanding job I had at the time, and every effort I made to lose weight always ended with multi-month stretches of binge eating. I was in a perpetual cycle of shame, guilt, and hopelessness. It began to feel eerily reminiscent of where I was only a year prior. There was part of me that assumed that when I finally stopped abusing drugs and alcohol, everything would fall into place. And even, as much, and even as much as I was in denial about my overeating, I began to realize I had even less control over that than I did with my substance abuse. I couldn't escape it. Food was everywhere. It was in every advertisement. It was everywhere I went. And I couldn't just not eat. After nearly three months of stubbornness, I was miserable. If you hang around AA folks long enough, you'll hear the phrase, there's nothing worse than a belly full of alcohol and a head full of AA. And I was living out my own version of that idiom. Having a head full of recovery and a belly full of junk food was not a life that I could sustain because I knew better. At some point, I was going to have to make the decision to move forward, or I would inevitably end up going back to my my old life. I'll never forget when I finally surrendered it. It was a hot summer day. I was miserable, depressed, and at the end of myself. As I drove along 275, a song started playing that I had heard dozens of times before, but never really stopped to listen to the words. As the lyrics for Take Care by City and Color started playing, I broke. Those words were, Take better care of yourself, my friend, for you never know when it will all come to an end because only time will tell when death shall ring his bell. So take better care of yourself, my friend, because you are a single grain, a mere molecule mistaken for a king. You're only a simple fool. I will provide you with a reason to believe. I will not desert you in your time of need. And so sudden the winds change and so sudden you lose your faith, but I will provide you with a reason to believe. As I heard those words, really heard those words. I wept. It was, defi- it, was, it was a defining moment for me, not just in my recovery, but in my relationship with God. and all of my guilt and shame and stubbornness, the words that broke me weren't words of condemnation or a barrage of I told you so's, but a still calm reassurance that the same God that had given me my life back, completely changed and renewed, was the same God who could provide the way forward out of this too. I remembered how impossible a single day sober felt in the beginning of my recovery journey. And now, an entire year later, I found myself praying the same prayer I did at the beginning. God, I can't do this. You have to do this. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, but you have to do this. I had never given any credence to taking care of myself before. I I never thought it was worth it. Never thought I was worth it. And it surely wasn't worth the effort for such a lost cause. But if God said it mattered, then it mattered. He opened the doors for me instantly to get in with the weight loss clinic at Good Sam. And the next thing I knew, I was in the process of getting weight loss surgery. I began detailing out my struggle uh, as we worked the step study. And I relented my control, not only over my decisions, but also my reluctance reluctance to talk about it. I found encouragement in my fellow step study brothers. And to this day, they're a constant source of encouragement to me post-op. So here I am today, down 150 pounds and coming to terms once again with a new lease on life. And once again, I found myself recognizing that something was missing. It was frustrating. I mean, I was eating better. I wasn't using. I was working the steps. I was on medication. What could possibly be missing? A month ago, I started noticing the telltale signs of my summer depression flaring up. I felt the life getting sucked out of me. That familiar feeling of disconnection from the people around me grew stronger and getting out of bed in the morning was a struggle. Going to bed at night was a battle. Any discipline I had worked on building was quickly abandoned. I was staying up too late, eating poorly, isolating and throwing myself in video games and media and was once again living in life in survival mode. The difference this time is that I wasn't simply willing to hold on to the control like I had before. Or maybe I just didn't have the fight left in me to be stubborn like I had before. I deployed my recovery toolkit and began taking inventory of my life, shared my struggles with my wife, my best friend, and my sponsor, and to God. While getting together with my sponsor and some friends in recovery and kind of talking things out, I was in a unique position that all of us in recovery find ourselves in. I I wasn't responsible for whatever made me predisposed to struggling with depression. I wasn't responsible for the depression itself. But I was responsible what I did about about what I did about it. I recognized that when my depression hit, the first thing to go to the wayside was my discipline, and I came to the realization that discipline was an important stabilizer that could ease the pain of my doubts with de- my bouts with depression. I now understand that my response and my responsibility when I recognize that I'm going through it is to, in some ways in some way, kind of ignore my feelings that lean me towards dropping my discipline instead, and instead lean into my discipline, being more intentional about eating right, more intentional about getting to bed on time, more intentional with letting people know that I'm in the thick of it. Shoot, I even started exercising again. You see, in the year and a half that I had started earnestly addressing my depression and my overall health, what I hadn't yet figured out is exactly how all those things I've referenced fit together. What I was and am still learning is that my mental, emotional, spiritual and physical health are not compartmentalized. They don't exist in their own separate vacuums, mutually exclusive from each other. When one fails, they all begin to falter. When my depression gets bad, I tend to be less diligent about my eating and sleeping habits. And I in turn feel Physically feel worse, which makes the mental struggle that much worse, which in turn leads me into feelings of exacerbated hopelessness and shame. On and on, the spiral continues until I finally make the decision that I don't want to take part in this anymore. Thankfully, with going to meetings, my personal openness, honesty, and willingness and support from those around me in recovery, even the struggle is still a step forward. You see, Struggle is not condemnation. Struggle is just struggle. It's through struggle that we get the vital experience we need putting our recovery toolkits to use. It's where we often have to go to open us up to change. And it's where we remember why we need a higher power in the first place. Struggle used to be a death sentence for me, but now it's an opportunity for change and a better life. Change doesn't happen at the mountaintop. It happens in the valley. The key is that we can't stay in the valley. We're just passing through. And if we're not taking care of ourselves in all aspects of our life, then that journey is going to feel impossible to complete. I'm sharing all this with you, not because I have it figured out, because there will be many more times of struggle to bring me to surrendering something else in my life, but because I hope you've picked up on the common themes of the process I've laid out for you today. The truth is that Despite what our past have taught us, we are worth taking care of. Even if you don't believe it, ask yourself this, can you be the parent, spouse, friend, employee, or or person you want to be if you're running your mental, physical, emotional health into the ground? How much easier would your recovery be if you didn't have untreated depression suffocating you or anxiety stealing your joy, your your weight sapping all your energy, or exhaustion grinding your motivation to a halt? This isn't a David David Goggins-esque motivational talk. Understand that I'm approaching this as pragmatically and objectively as I can. At some point, if you find yourself stuck in the valley, maybe the discipline you don't put any stock into can be the tool you need to start moving across that valley again. And if you hear that question and think to yourself that you don't have it in you to even start, remember that the higher power that you relied on in the first place is the same higher power that can provide what you don't feel like you have now. Lean on God. Depend on Him to provide what you cannot provide for yourself. Be honest and open about your struggle to care for yourself. And I can promise you this, at some point, with enough experiential evidence of what God can do, the tone of this question can shift from dread to determination. What's next?